Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> We're going to call everyone into the sanctuary. So quickly finish up your breakfast and come on in. We're excited to see y'all here this morning. Did anybody have the biscuits and gravy this morning? No. They're evil. Did you have a good week? Do I have everybody yet? Did, I, did you guys have a good week? Yes, Pastor Ben and Pastor Kelly are here this morning. We're glad to have them back. They're tired, so pray them, pray them energy to get through this day because they just got back yesterday evening. So they're going to need that. So we're excited to have them back. So why don't you guys stand with me and we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit in and then we will begin our worship time together. So let's all stand together. And then we'll pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you that you are in this room with us right now. That you have sent your spirit before us. And that you have been walking up and down these aisles. And that you have been praying for your kids. And only a way that you understand, Jesus. We thank you for interceding for us. We thank you for what you're going to do. And Lord, I just pray now that you'll calm our spirits that you will turn our hearts and our minds towards you, that you will be our only focus for this next period of time that we have set aside for you in our day and our week. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will move in and through us, that we will get to enjoy your presence, and that you'll fill this room with joy. I thank you for being here, Lord, and we give you this morning and this offering of praise. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. There's revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? It's the rhythm of a gospel song. Oh 
Good to be in God's house today, man. One last hug or handshake, and then you can have a seat. Good to see some happy reunions here this morning. Makes me look forward to that day when we're going to have one big happy reunion with Jesus right in the center in that place prepared for us. Amen. Good to have your previous Pastor Brian Truxel. Anybody not know him? Most of you know him. I met him for the first time in the parking lot. I can see why you love him so much. There's a good guy. And what's that? Good looking face. I would agree. Got his plaid flannel. You don't wear that in Houston, do you? <laughs> Brian's going to uh, pray for us later in the service. And of course, he's preaching that uh, service tomorrow. Too. And uh, Greg White, I've been hearing that name and I finally got to meet him. Where's he? Right there. Good to have him with us. And uh, good to have the Christie family. I think we might have uh, most of them. There's Velma. Been praying for you guys. And looking forward to a good service tomorrow at 1030 right here in this space. Uh, Jim Rumsey tells me that at 2 o'clock today they're going to be uh, setting up. So if anyone uh, wants to come and help 2 o'clock right here in this space, we've got about 300 chairs to put out and a few other things to do. I'd appreciate that help. You've got a yellow connection card in your uh, Sunday morning handout. If you'd whip that out. If you're a first-time guest with us or visiting with us today, we'd love to have some contact information, a prayer request on the backside, anything else you want to communicate 
to the staff. Uh, put on that connection card, and you can drop it in the offering plates when they come around in just a few minutes. Scott Myers, our board vice chair person, he's going to come and has a little update on the search and selection process for a new lead pastor here. Dr. Asker met with the board this past Tuesday, so Scott's going to catch us up. Thank you. Well, good morning. So has anybody seen the news? You know what's going to happen about 21 hours from now? Nobody knows. Well, they're planning to fire a rocket that's going to go to the moon. You didn't hear about that? Nobody heard about that. What? Thank you. Three people. <laughs> okay, well, with that in mind, we had a small launch of our own. Um, this past week, we met with Dr. Askren, we being the, the, the board, and we started on that path of interviewing candidates and receiving resumes and maybe someday um, actually getting a new senior pastor. And we're hopeful about that. It was a, it was a really great meeting. We were mostly filled in on the, on the uh, process of, the, of uh, what we're expected to do in the process of, of finding a candidate that really fits our needs and, and the man that, or woman that God has chosen for us. Um, and we want to, every, every couple of weeks, give you an update of where we are. There was one unsolicited uh, resume already submitted. What will happen is in the next couple of weeks, there will be a call that goes out for resumes. So that's, that, that'll be a little while down the road. Further down the road, we will, we will be, uh, the board will receive from Dr. Askren about three resumes that he thinks would be suitable and we will look at those and look for a single candidate so this is a it is a long process and we don't want everybody to um, uh, get anxious like we're going to see somebody replacing these guys in the next couple weeks that that won't happen but we do have to replace them whether we want to or not so anyway that's that's where we're at and if there are any questions just grab a board member and ask them any details you'd like to. We will tell you what we can. And we'll have that update probably once every other week. Thank you. Why don't we have all of our board members stand right now that are here today so you know who to grab and stay standing. There's your board, most of them. I think Jane is traveling and back there too. Okay, very good. And we're all praying for God's uh, guidance in that process, amen? And maybe, Brian, you could include that in your pastoral prayer today. We know God has just the right person for you all. Mention that service tomorrow at 1030 again right here in this space with a uh, meal, I think, to follow and uh, praying for just a blessed time uh, there. Lots of other opportunities and uh, needs and events in your Sunday morning handout, including baptism and those alabaster boxes are still out. And Oh, and all church potluck two weeks from today. Now, next Sunday, remember, we're not in this space. We're going to take our service up and join the Colorado District Church family at uh, Golden Bell, so don't show up here. That's 1030 uh, next Sunday morning. 
and then the next time we're in this space, we'll be, uh, we'll be back at it. Our fall kickoff, September 11, with a potluck to follow. So all that information is right there. We're going to take the morning tithes and offerings and going to invite the ushers to come. Jen Geffrey, by the way, our church treasurer, is going to be out in the lobby again today. If anyone's interested in setting up direct deposit for your giving or online giving, uh, that would be a good time to do it this week since we're not going to be in this space next week. But see her, and uh, let's, continue to, uh, let's continue to give in obedience to God and uh, gratefulness for all He's done for us and in support of the life and ministry of His church, which I believe is the hope of the world as we present Jesus to our community. Amen. God, thank You for all You've done, all You've given to us. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of yourself, not just 2,000 years ago when you walked for a while among us, but today. You're present with us, living inside us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for the fellowship of your church, and thank you for the privilege of being here today. Uh, we give back to you a portion of what you've blessed us with in thanksgiving. We give that thanksgiving today in Jesus' name. Amen.
gave up on me. He never gave up on me. You were my testimony.
time I was in this room about two years ago I brought my boys up here um, because one of Jackson's best friends had committed suicide that started a spiraling journey for Jackson um, and he got overwhelmed by drugs and alcohol Ended up on the streets. Graduated high school somehow, some way, but ended up on the streets. And we were broken. You, you know, you, um, you raise your kids a certain way in a certain environment, and you, you, you assume that they're just going to walk that path. But um, when we speak the name of Jesus over our family, when we say words like that, understand that there is real power in the name of Jesus. Got to the point, uh, he wanted to come back home, and we told him that he really couldn't do that, but if he would 
let me, I would take him to a place called Teen Challenge. He reticently agreed to do that. It was a four-hour drive to this place. I just knew in my heart and my mind anytime I slowed down under 10, he was probably just going to jump out and run. He didn't want to have any part of it. And, and he told me flat out, he said, I'll, I'll do the work, I'll do the program, but they can't cram God in me. I don't, I'm, I don't believe in God. Six weeks later, he was baptized. has a call into ministry and he's graduating September the 8th totally transformed his life two years ago the young man that you saw if you if he was here today and you you heard him talking it would be hard to believe Um, that's the miraculous God that we serve and he's here Right now, he's here. So I want to invite you to close your eyes. I'm not going to presume to know anything about what's happening in your situation. But I'm confident of one thing Jesus knows. And I don't know what kind, what, what, with the kind of ministry of, from Jesus that you need today. Maybe, maybe you need the comforting, shepherding arms of Jesus, sort of like the child that climbs up into daddy's lap and just is held by him. That might be you today. Maybe you need the healing hands of Jesus today. Maybe you need the nail-pierced, saving hands of Jesus stretched out for you, simply saying, I love you, and I, I died on a cross for you. I did this for you. It's just you and Jesus for a few moments. Let him minister to you right now. Jesus, the fact is, we are desperate for you. Desperate for you to be at work in our lives, in our health, in our relationships, in our finances, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our community, our city, our state, our country, our world. I mean, we're just desperate for you. And you know, you know the, the burdens and the baggage 
that we bring into your presence today. You know our stories. You know, you know where our stories have come from. You know where our stories are right now in this moment, and you know where they're heading. You know what's next. And that's not a scary thought. That is a very comforting thought, that, that the God that we worship, the God that we follow, the God that, that crammed himself into flesh, lived on this earth and died on a cross for us, that, that, that you've got us and our stuff in your hands. And even when life just seems to be spiraling out of control or someone that we love's life is spiraling out of control, we're able to find rest in you. And we could just speak the name of Jesus over them, over ourselves, over our circumstances. Because your death and your resurrection changed everything. Not just 2,000 years ago, but it, it changes things today. Right here, right now. So we rest in you. And this church family rests in you. We're absolutely convinced that you have in mind the perfect person to shepherd this community. Someone that will come, will dig in, will live here. will bleed and sweat and cry and dig and, and work and pray. Pray for your outpouring upon this place, outpouring upon this community. Pray that, that lives will be transformed, people will be saved. Miracles will happen, unfold, that it will just be the norm. You have that person in mind right now. We're asking that you will that you will guide the board to the right resume, to the right phone call, to the whatever the next step is. We rest in this and we thank you in advance for the for the leader that's coming. And I personally thank you for being allowed to be part of your kingdom. It's at work all over the globe right now. for the celebration that we have today and the celebration we're looking forward to when we're all going to be together in this little place called heaven. Where Jim is right now. Celebrating eternity with you. Continue to Surround the Christie family with your 
comfort. We just are so grateful that because you, because you died for us and have saved us, that, that we grieve with hope, that we grieve with joy because it's not goodbye, it's, it's see you later, it's see you soon. We're, we're, that's what you did for us. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they'll, they'll step right into that. That they won't waste another moment. That they'll be drawn by your Spirit into a loving relationship with you. Have your anointing upon the pastor today. Open up your word as we open up our hearts and our minds to you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Good morning. As uh, Pastor Brian was sharing a little, little bit about Jackson and as we have been thinking and praying for the Christie family. I'd love what we read in Isaiah 43. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Thanks be to God that he helps us through those times. It doesn't say if you go through those times, it says when. We go through those difficult times, but we don't go through them alone. We have a God that goes through those times with us and brings us through not even smelling like smoke. I love the Lord for that. Well, we just got back, as Lori said, we just got back last evening from a little vacation um, to help our daughter and her family move from Pennsylvania to Kansas City. I don't know what it is about being parents of young adults. All your vacations tend to involve mulch, paint, or moving trucks. What is that all about? They used to tease us back home, <laughs> saying that our vacations look more like work and witness trips. Um, and I think they're right. But we had a great time with family, helping them get settled in Kansas City. And uh, we appreciated the time off. But we're glad to be back. We're so glad to be back, back home here in Woodland Park. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Well, have any of you ever been on a crew team? Raise your hand if you've ever been on a crew team. How many of you have no idea what a crew team is? Raise your hand. Okay. I have a little clue right up front here if you don't know what a crew team is. Um, I never knew what it was until my sister was on a crew team in college. Crew is a rowing sport. 
It takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of solidarity. This sport involves a long, skinny boat referred to as a shell. My sister's team in college was made up of eight strong women who did the rowing. And then there was my sister who got to sit in the front of the boat with a little kind of microphone type thing and tell all the other people what to do. She's pretty good at that. That came very natural for her. They race other crew teams up the river to a finish line. It's a great, it's a beautiful sport, uh, but it's not a real popular one, I guess because you have to be on a river in order to participate in that sport. Well, in a crew of eight, each rower has their specific strength. The rowers in the front of the boat, or the bow it's called, they are in charge of keeping the boat stable and balanced. The rowers in the middle of the boat, they provide the strength and the power. And the rowers in the back, or the stern of the boat, they're the ones that set the timing for the team's rowing actions. Each strength is very important, and each strength is necessary if they're going to win the race. Now, what's interesting about this is they're all facing backwards as they row, which means they do not see the finish line, and they cannot even see if they're going in a straight line or not. The rowers are completely dependent on the coxswain. That's what my sister was. She was the coxswain, the one that sits there in the front and tells them what to do. They are completely dependent on her to give them guidance and instructions. The coxswain sits in the back of the boat, or in the back of the boat, facing all the rowers, as you can see, and she can see where they're going. She can tell if they're going in a straight line or not, and can tell them how to adjust in order to keep them going in a straight line. She's got the responsibility of steering, motivating, and communicating with the rowers all during the race. Now, in the sport of crew, they all have the same goal, right? Which is what? To win the race, to go across that finish line first. That is their goal. They all have to row together in sync, in unity, in order to win the race. They all have to row according to their own strength and at the same time encourage those, encourage the woman in the front, encourage the woman in the back in order to win the race. And in crew, there are no solo winners. They either all win or they all lose. Now, what would happen if someone wanted to be the star of the show and she decided that she was going to roll double time? She wanted everybody to cheer her on because she was going to be the star. Would that help them to, them to win the race? No, it wouldn't help at all. 
would it? What if someone else decided not to row at all? I'm not as strong as those other ones. I can't row as well as they do. I'm just going to kind of sit back and let them do all the work. Would that help them to win the race? No, no. Now, what if someone else said, I am not going to do what they want me to do. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do my own thing. I'm not going to let them tell me how to do this. Would that help them to win the race? No, it would not. What if one of the rowers didn't like the rowers around them and they decided to put them down? Tell them they weren't doing a good job. Tell them they weren't as strong as they are. Would that help them to win the race? No, it would not. The bottom line is that if a crew team is going to win the race, every single rower must listen to the coxswain and row with all of their strength in sync in unity with the other rowers, right? Now, there are a lot of similarities between a crew team and the church. The church is made up of people with different strengths. But don't we all have the same goal? To win the prize that God has for all of us? Isn't that our goal? We can't see the finish line, can we? We can't see it. But we know it's there. And so often, we don't know if we're going in a straight line or not. We all need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, our coxswain, who directs us, guides us, lets us know if we're off course. We're in this race together, and we must work together in unity so that we all finish this race well. I don't know if you have noticed it or not, but there's a lot of division in our country these days. Republicans versus Democrats, conservatives versus liberals, young versus seasoned, not old, but seasoned. Not only is there a lot of division in our country, but there are very strong feelings about that. Do you notice that? Very strong feelings. This division can spread like poison to the church, and Satan can use it to make the church divisive and ineffective in the world. And we cannot let that happen. We are the body of Christ, and he wants us to be unified over his mission to save a lost and broken world. When we are unified, we can do anything. I want to go back to the book of Genesis, to the story of the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. Is this a familiar story to most of you? Early on in the Bible, and everyone spoke the same language. 
Now, some would argue that that language was Spanish. Others would say it was English. Others say it was German or French. We don't know what language that was. But here is the point. The people were all unified over these big plans to build this great tower. And then they would all huddle and stay right there instead of doing what God had instructed them to do and to disperse and to fill the world. God saw what they were doing. And he recognized that if these people work together, they can do anything. So to keep these people from being successful at building this tower, he confused their language so that they could no longer understand each other. When people have a burning desire for unity, they can accomplish great, big, incredible things. But this is hard because I don't know if you've noticed, but we're all different. We're all different in so many things. And we think very different, differently about things. And not only are we all very different, but we all really believe that my way is the best and the only and the right way. Do I hear an amen? <laughs> Am I the only one that believes that? I remember in first grade, um, our teacher, my teacher broke us into groups. Now, I don't know about you, but I never liked when the teacher broke us up into groups, into separate teams. And she broke us up into the team, and my team, she gave us a big piece of paper, and she said, I want you all to work together and to draw a playground on this big piece of paper. Well, I right away said, I really want our playground to have a sandbox. And the other kids in my team said, no, we don't want a sandbox. And I said, Yes, we have to have a sandbox. Every playground has to have a sandbox. And they said, no, no, we don't want a sandbox in our playground. Well, even in first grade, I already knew that I was right and they were all wrong. And so when the teacher called them out to reading group, guess what I did? Uh, no, I drew a sandbox in crayon, so they couldn't erase it when they got back from reading group. I knew that I was right and that that playground needed a sandbox. Working together, it's hard, even in first grade. Well, one of the themes in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesians, in Ephesus, is unity. He talks about unity. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, Paul says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. If you have to bear with one another, then you know there's got to be a little bit of difficulty there. But make every effort 
to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, this scripture says one a lot. I think Paul is trying to make a point, don't you? Unity. Now, the church is unique. There's something very special about the church. The church is made up of many members, but is only one body. It is made up of many different ages, but has one purpose. It is made up of many different ethnicities, but has one head, which is Christ. The church is made up of many wonderful, eccentric, weird, funny, serious, dynamic, difficult, negative, positive, beautiful, and annoying personalities, right? But we all have one mission. The church is unique because we are all so different. But we are called by Christ himself into unity to function as one body, just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit function as one. Let's go back to that crew team again. The rowers in the front, the middle, and the back, they all had different strengths, didn't they? But they all rowed as one. Their goal is to row as one. And that is us, the church. We need to be as one, just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. And friends, we can accomplish big, huge, wonderful things for God when we work together. Amen? When we work together, we are a mighty force that God can use to reconcile the world to himself. Amen? The church is not like any other community because we are the body of Christ. We are family. And we are called to be in relationship with each other. And when, when we are in, on his mission to rescue and save a lost world for whom he died, we have a unique purpose. And we are to accomplish this, pur this purpose not alone, but together. A study of horses revealed that a single horse can pull an average of 2,500 pounds. So then the test was repeated with two horses. Now, what do you think two horses could pull? If one horse pulls 2,500 pounds, what can two horses pull? 5,000, okay, yeah, that's right. You would think that that would double, right? Wrong. 
two horses pulling together pulled 12,500 pounds. That's five times the amount that one horse could pull. That's incredible, isn't it? And think about us. Think about us. When we do something all by ourselves, yeah, we're out there, we're making a difference, we're doing something. But maybe even when you bring one other person alongside of you to work with you, you can do five times the amount as you can alone. When we are working together, we are powerful. Now the opposite of unity is division. And division is a result of sin. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God, didn't they? Until they sinned. Then they hid from him. That relationship was marred. It was no longer perfect. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with each other. They worked together. Until what? Until they sinned, right? And then came the blaming game. He did it. She did it. God did it. Sin entered into those relationships and ruined those relationships. And the enemy, Satan, is all about division. He's sneaky, and he works on the inside. Take the family unit, for example. If the enemy wants to bring division into a family, he, tur he turns the focus onto the individual instead of the family. You know what? I'm not happy. What about me? What about my needs? The focus is on me. And my happiness, my way, becomes more important than the happiness and the stability of my family. That's how the enemy works. The focus is turned on me instead of on the family unit. And he does the same here in the church. He does the same thing. My way becomes more important than what is best for the whole. Satan loves division. But Jesus, but Jesus loves unity. He loves unity so much that he paid the price, the ultimate price for that unity. And unity was restored on the cross. Unity between God and us and unity between in the church unity amongst each other was restored here was restored on the cross unity is not something that we can produce when someone becomes a follower of Christ they become a member of his body not as an add-on but as an organic part of the body of Christ. Jesus' death on the cross is what makes us one. Jesus' sacrificial act on the cross demonstrated for us what is needed 
to bring about unity. Self-sacrifice. Newsflash, friends, it's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. Unity involves sacrifice. I can't always have it my way. And that's okay. That's okay. Keeping unity means having some tough conversations, doesn't it? Like I said, the church is family, and in any healthy family, there are tough conversations to be had. When we are in tough conversations and we want to preserve unity, there are some things to keep in mind. I want to finish my message here with some tips. Last time I preached, I talked about life hacks. Well, this could be another one of those life hacks. I want to share with you PK's tips to tough conversations. If we want to preserve unity in any relationship, and especially relationships in the church, when we have these tough conversations, we need to seek more to understand rather than to be understood. Now, this is not natural, is it? We want to be heard. We want to be understood. We want them to hear what we have to say and what we think about the matter. And we want them to admit that we are right. Isn't that true? But if we desire unity, then we need to work first at understanding the other person. I'm not saying always agreeing. You're not going to always agree. But yet, you can understand what they are trying to say. The next one is, goes kind of along with this. Listen more than you speak. This also doesn't come naturally. But really listening to someone is hard work, isn't it? In most conversations, we're not really listening. We're thinking about how we're going to respond to them, right? We're not really listening because we are thinking, how, what am I going to say next? When you listen, when you truly take the time and make the effort to listen to someone, you're communicating that you really care about them. You care about them. You care about how they think, even if it's different than the way you think. And you really care about them as a person. You want to hear what they have to say. Saying things, you could say things like, I hear you saying this, and repeat back to them what they are saying. And that way, then you know you are truly understanding what they are trying to say. The next tip is don't get defensive. This is hard, isn't it? This is, getting defensive is so automatic in a conversation when you think very di differently about something. 
Don't get defensive, but stay open. Once you become defensive, you're no longer open to what they're saying. You're not. A wall goes up, you're no longer hearing them because you're defensive. And that's our human, human tendency, is to defend what we believe. When we get defensive, we close ourselves off to what the other person is saying, and we stop listening. So don't get defensive. Stay open to that other person. And the next one goes right along with this, is be completely humble and gentle. That's what Paul told the church in Ephesus. Be completely humble and gentle. You know, being right isn't as big a deal as you think it is. Instead of putting all our energy into proving that they are wrong and that I am right, what if we focus on coming up with a good solution to the problem? This takes humility. This takes gentleness. And it keeps the focus on the problem and on solving that problem rather than winning. Take time to pray together and to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit together. The next one is stay on board. Don't leave the church just because you don't get your way. You don't leave your marriage every time you and your spouse disagree, do you? I hope not. You don't have to agree on everything to be in a relationship with someone. And not everyone in our church will agree with you, and that is okay. We are a diverse bunch of people, but we have one Lord, and we have one faith, and we have one purpose, and we have one mission. And we are richer because we think differently. We're richer because we're diverse. How would a crew team do if someone jumped overboard every time they didn't get their way? They wouldn't do very well, would they? Next one is trust in the other person's integrity and motives. Trust them. They're not a bad person just because they don't think like you. They are a good person with good motives, but with their own experiences and their own opinions. And last thing is be aware that the world is watching. The way that we treat each other is a testimony to those around us. They will know that we are Christians by our love. And when the church is unified, we are a beautiful, loving, and powerful force in our world. But when we're divided, we are a train wreck and a terrible example of Christ's love. Now, God said this about the disobedience of the human race back in Genesis. Behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. 
We all need a burning desire for unity. And this, uni and this desire comes from Christ. He's the one that gives us the desire to be one. He gives us the ability to be one. He wants us to be one just as he and the Father are one. That was his prayer for us. And we are only effective in our ministry as far as we depend on Christ for unity and as we live that out in our lost and dying world. Christ calls us together. His Holy Spirit calls the shots. And as we listen to him, we can work together in a way that enables us all to finish the race well. You've heard a lot from us about small groups. And I am so excited about the small groups that are going to be forming very, very soon. We're going to be inviting our whole church to be involved in a small group, a group of about 8 to 10 people. It gives an opportunity for a season to be together, to pray for each other, to get to know each other better, to go through a study together. We won't make you share all the intimate details of your life if you don't want to do that, but it's just a way to get to know each other better and to talk through things and to just connect in a different way. You're going to be on the same boat for a time, rowing together, listening as the Holy Spirit guides you. We have a mission to accomplish, and that mission can only be accomplished as we stay and work together. And we are on mission as soon as we walk out those doors. Well, thanks so much to Scott Meyer and Cyril Smith. There's this beautiful antique paddle up front. You've probably noticed that. It was once used on a boat to guide it in the direction that the rower wanted to go. But it's been repurposed to serve as a reminder that we all need to be rowing together in unity. Remember, there are no star rowers as we row in unity. And there are no slackers when we are rowing in unity. When we are rowing in unity, we are rowing with all of our hearts, and we are encouraging those around us. And we are listening to the Holy Spirit as he guides us, keeping in mind that unity requires self-sacrifice. This beautiful antique paddle up here is going to be a gift to the new lead pastor. We're going to call this paddle Unity. And it will be an incredible encouragement to the new lead pastor to see this church, to see the desire, the heart of this church to be Unity. What I'm going to invite you all to do, we're going to stand up in a few minute, minutes and we're going to sing our final song. 
there are Sharpies up here. If, you, if your desire is that we as a church are unified, if we are going to be rowing toward the goal in unity, if you want to take part in that, I want to invite you to come up and just sign your name. Not too big, because we want to allow enough, enough space there for everybody, but to just come forward as we sing this song and to take a Sharpie and just write your name somewhere on this paddle that will communicate to the new lead pastor, hey, my desire is that we are unified in our goal, in our, what we do here as a church to be effective here in our community and to lead people to Christ. I invite you to stand, and as we sing, just come forward and sign your name here on this paddle as a gift to the new lead pastor.
take as long as we need to uh, do this. I was thinking of all the things that I've signed in my life. Checks, contracts, that marriage license 37 years ago. Wouldn't be much more important signature than this one. Pastor once said that the local church is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. But we're the body of Christ. We're his hands and feet. It's on us. I thought of the prayer of Jesus. Father, just as you sent me, so I send them. We're him. We've got a mission. We've got a call. We've got a cause. It's on us. And Kelly's right on. It's a message we've heard before. We've got to be together. I love that image of that crew team. That's us. We're in the boat, whether we like it or not. And your commitment testified in this little exercise with a beautiful visual has some significant implications. We've prayed this morning that God would provide just the right pastor for you, and I'm believing that that's going to happen. And I'm seeing that Sunday morning when that pastor is here for the first time, handing that pastor this oar with your names, and you still here, still gathering, still giving, still serving, still loving, still persevering in these challenging days. And that's going to be encouraging. I'm thinking again of 37 years ago when a young married couple showed up in a church in Maryland. Hardly any experience. Green as the day is long. And we had a church commit to us and love us. And we still miss them. You can do that for a pastor and enjoy maybe decades of fruitful ministry in a community that needs the Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise be to his name. Thinking about Jim Christie a good bit today. Glad that I had a little time in McDonald's uh, the day before he passed on to glory. Makes me think of that resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. This isn't all there is. Life doesn't end at a graveside service. And speaking of happy reunions, there was one about a week ago, and it's still going on. And I want to join in one of these days, amen? At the end of that great resurrection chapter is our benediction for today. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters... Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Praise be to his name. God, we thank you for this beautiful service today, the beautiful music, that beautiful time of prayer, this 
message from your word. God, I pray that uh, we would all drive a stake in the ground today. Remember the commitment we've made today. Remember perhaps the desire that's been stirred in our heart today. And God, in all the days that you give us ahead, help us to stay true. Until that day, we stand in your presence without fault and with great joy by your grace. Lord, I pray your blessing on each one that's made the effort to be here today. I pray your blessing again on that service tomorrow. And as we uh, spill out of this building into your world on your day, God, help us to be Christ's hands and feet to a world that desperately needs you. I pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you're dismissed. Go in peace. Enjoy each other as you do. Be encouraged. Our praise to you, our life songs ring.